Welcome into Inside Carolina's On the Beat Live. It's Monday night. It's uh, like weird. It's Monday night. I was supposed to be watching The Bachelor, um, but I'm talking to Adam Smith. <laughs> I'm joking. Adam Smith and John Bowman. Greg Barnes will join us here in a second. After nine on your Monday night, Carolina, of course, in the ACC tournament, um, I guess play on Wednesday, possibly Thursday, possibly Friday, possibly Saturday, um, as we waste time waiting for Greg. Adam. I'll tell you, Tommy, you lost a lot of credibility there on the message boards by just feeling <laughs> that you're watching The Bachelor. I do not watch it. I will admit, get Greg in here so I can go ahead and discuss it. <laughs> How is this Greg's fault? <laughs> I, no, I want him to hear it. Though. I used to watch The Bachelor a lot because it was a, it was, it was. It what was is good, happening? Uh, it's trash television, right? And it's just something to watch. But now I'm a Netflix person. So anyway, Greg Barnes is here. Adam Smith is here. John's giving me a hard time about credibility, Greg, because I admitted. I mean, Tyler Hansbrough has a special podcast on occasion to talk about The Bachelor. So, I mean, I'm in some some rare air there. Let's talk about this ACC tournament. Um, just for folks listening purposes, we'll talk about football in a little bit, but we're going to start with ACC basketball and Carolina basketball specifically. A season on the brink. Old school folks will recognize that as the former Bobby Knight, former Indiana head coach Bobby Knight book title. It's worth a read if you haven't. But Adam, get in here. Carolina opens um, with the Boston College Louisville winner. You would assume that would be Boston College, but Louisville, if – Quentin Post doesn't play for Boston College, has a chance there. but And we're at the point in the season where whatever the head coach believes the narrative is, the narrative is they've got to make some major noise in the ACC tournament to keep this going. Is there a question there, Tommy? What am I just – I'm just going to riff on the ACC tournament. Um, yeah. yeah, just First riff. of all, Greg Barnes is here. Greg, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's great to see you. Thank, thank you for having me on, Adam. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. You know, I love you uh, dearly. We got John in what appears to be a winter sweater. Uh, I, I really don't have that many, like, podcast-appropriate clothes, so I have to ro rotate and wear what I have. Well, you look very handsome. It's just, I mean, I feel like it's spring. Like, you know, right, my daughter right. was just at a lacrosse game, and you're looking like you're ready for your christmas photo or something so, so let's not let's not interrupt the the whole flow of this but what is podcast attire john well <laughs> i've i've heard that we're supposed to wear collared shirts that's been feedback from some of our loyal listeners on here from really? some of our that's listeners yes those lim those listeners might have a humorous slant to some of what they're saying but uh, I also know that we're not supposed to wear any logos for the most part so i try to remove all logos so, that's, John, that's actually, actually, I'm glad we got on this subject because I know of a female listener who lives in the big city of Manhattan who very much enjoyed your cookout shirt hmm. um, a couple of episodes ago, who watched, enjoyed. So there you go. I mean, you know, you're doing some things right here. Um, so just, you know, think about that the next time you're getting ready in the mirror and stuff. But And for the record, I tried to get straight into it, folks. So don't send me <laughs> the messages talking about getting rid of the pleasantries. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam Riff. 
I mean, you know, how negative am I'm feeling very negative. Like, you know, what what about this team makes you believe that they could win four games, you know, against three of them against quality competition? I mean, I don't know. I I guess the question would be, do they have to win the tournament? I mean, I know none of us know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, but they obviously have to make a run, which would mean beating, as Tommy said, beating either BC or Louisville, which they have beaten both of those teams. Then would, they would need to beat UVA on Thursday night. They have beaten UVA. Then they would need to beat either Clemson or NC State, likely, and they be, have beaten both of those teams. Um, I think if you're super dialed into the net and all that stuff, you would want Carolina to play NC State on Friday night if they could get there rather than Clemson because the computers like NC State better than Clemson. Um, beating UVA and NC State would be two quad one wins. Um, but I don't know. My whole thing, I typed it in. Uh, I was going to start the preview, and I'm like, well, I don't know who they're going to play because I was going to start it with them playing Boston College, and that could be wrong. Um, but, uh, I mean, who are they going to show up for this? Like, or have they just checked out? I I, I don't know. Um, but it is uh, – I, w- I was thinking about Greg coming on, and Greg, like – how would you – this is a very broad question. How would you compare, um, observing it from the ways you have observed it, what we thought this UNC team would be versus what it has become? Like, I mean, you could take that any way you want to go, but what have you – just if you could think back to, I don't know, October or November, and now here we are where they're in the direst, most dire of uh, situations. Well, Adam, I just kind of think back to last March and, you know, we're, we're in Fort Worth and we're thinking, well, we're only going to be here for two days. Right. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we have to book travel to, to Philly. And then you get to Philly, like, there's no way they beat UCLA. And then Caleb Love has you know, arguably the, the best second half performance in postseason that I've ever covered. And that's, that's probably not even arguably, I think that is the best that I've seen. Um, and they're like, well, I guess we got to book a trip to New Orleans. And so I think after the season, it really became of a situation of, was this the team that we saw for three months? That was a, not quite a bubble team, but they had to beat Duke and, you know, and Cameron to get off the bubble. Or was this a situation where Hubert found the switch right. and this team is now you know, a legitimate top 10 type team? And that was the question, which team's going to show up? We knew very early. I mean, when you guys landed in Portland, we were like, okay, well, this is not, <laughs> this is not the team that you know, was up 15 at halftime in the national championship game. Uh, and they just kind of plodded along. And that's one of the weird things is you kind of look at the, the numbers for each player. You, yeah, Pete Nance was really good from outside last year at Northwestern. But he's like a career 34% three-point shooter. He's shooting 32% this year. So he's a little off his career marks. But everybody else is pretty much who they are. And so it's not like people are slumping or anything. Um, And yet here we are in a worse position than they were last year. Um, I don't don't know what to say about this team. I'm with you on this weekend. Like, you you would think they have the potential to make a run because – they have some good pieces, and the ACC is not any good. So the, the opportunities there for a run, 
we haven't seen anything this year to suggest that they can go on a run. Um, and I will add this in terms of what they need to do. I think they need to win the tournament to feel comfortable on selection Sunday. Cause they know they're in. Can they can still get in by just getting to the finals, but if they beat Louisville and Clemson, right. I mean, does that do anything for the resume really? And then you get into the situation of all these other variables of all these other, your bid stillers, uh, in, in random conferences, you just never know how that stuff plays out. But I think they at least have to get to Saturday night to feel like they have a chance. But if they just do that and lose, I think they're going to be quite nervous on, on Selection Sunday. Greg, I uh, – Sorry, go ahead, John. Go. Greg, I, I, I know you mentioned you don't know what you have to say about this team. I know exactly what I have to say about this team. It's been very disappointing. This season started with UNC basketball recreating the iconic – Sports Illustrated cover from the 1981-82 season. And that was pretty sweet, too. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. But to be I very forgot. clear, that was something that UNC put out itself. This was the UNC creative department or whatever put it out from their own social media. It wasn't even like Sports Illustrated asked them to do it. Uh, this is something that they embraced. They embraced the idea that we are uh, the number one team in the country in the preseason. We're going to compare ourselves to this 1981-82 team. Do you want to know what that uh, 1981-82 team ended up uh, doing? They were the NCAA tournament national champions, the ACC tournament champions, and the ACC regular season co-champions. That team is not this team that we have seen this season. And I agree with you, too. It's been this way right from the start. We should have known right when they were not blowing out some of those teams early in the year. That was the red flag, and the quotes coming out at that time were, oh, we're just kind of a little sluggish. We haven't quite gelled. We're maybe a little rusty, but really the word is hungover, and that's Armando Baycott's word that he used in interviews. They have been, and it's a, it's a rough word, but I'm using it because he's using it. They've been really hungover this entire season, and now here we are at this point where it looks like they're going to miss the NCAA tournament, which is shocking to say. And Hubert uh, Davis, you by said the way, right was on. watching that 82 championship game. At, he, he got home at halftime from his Boy Scout meeting. Um, you know, everybody, you know, jokes about happy Hubert the Boy Scout. He told us, Greg remembers, he told us uh, last season that, uh, you know, I think a question was, I might have asked him, I think I asked him uh, something about what he remembered about those Jordan themes. And he's like, well, I begged my parents to be able to watch the championship game, but they made me go to my Boy Scout meeting. So I got home at halftime. So anyway, sorry, Tommy. No, that, you're right on it, and I'm thinking that that '84 team or that '81 team had four returning starters into '82, um, and then they added some kid named Mike and ended up winning the national championship. You know, it's amazing to me. And John, you brought it up, and, and Adam, we kind of talked about it, um, or I talked about it last on the beat, but I want to revisit it. They're talking about in March about a hangover from last March. I mean, I can understand having a hangover from New Orleans. A lot of us did. (laughs) But we're a year removed, and they're still – and Baycott is still talking about a hangover from last season. That just completely blows my mind, and and I want to, like, put that blame on somebody. Like, how can that be? But am I just – is it just me, Adam, that that statement and that discussion was incredible? Well, here's the thing. 
if I can provide some context to you, it wasn't like Armando like tapped on the microphone and said, I need to make an announcement. It was a question uh, from our guy, Aaron Beard of the Associated Press. Uh, I'm not sure why Beard was asking this question three weeks after we went through the whole weighted vest thing, but he was talking about, I guess he's doing probably a preview nationally for Carolina's limping into March and do they get in and, you know, the whole situation. And he asked the question, about the burdens that Carolina has played with, about the pressure and things of that nature. And that was the question Armando, Armando was answering a question. Now, I didn't expect him to say, yeah, we're a little hungover, and that got into the locker room. But that's what Armando said. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, it, it's funny when Greg was saying, you know, we knew when, when they got to Portland. I remember writing at that time that this is a team that is looking six months in the rearview mirror and six months ahead. I was very wrong about the final four caliber of this team, but you know, I, I, that's what I felt at the time. I felt like, you know, everything you talked about just then was sort of about, Oh my God, how magical it was at the end of last season. Oh my, the aspirations for this season. And it just never came, came to be. I think about all these games that they could have won that would just, you know, make a difference on their tournament livelihood. All these games, you know, the two pit games, the Iowa State game, the Alabama game. You know, I think Indiana was control in control from start to finish. And, you know, Virginia Tech was, you know, Armando didn't play and Carolina wasn't right. But like so many of these games. Um, and it's just, it's sort of remarkable the, all the ways they find, all the ways they found to lose games um, where, you know, if they just eked out two or three of these things, you know, maybe one of these games, you know, they, they'd be feeling better about their chances. They just kind of reflecting back. It's funny. Uh, you know, in, in 08, of course, Carolina was part of that number one seed final four uh, right. with UCLA and Memphis and Kansas. First time that happened, all number ones got to the final four and everybody came back. And Adam, you probably remember this, but Carolina started the year 13 and 0, and then they lost to BC. Uh, and then lost to Wake. So they started ACC play 0-2, and, and it was like this massive storyline of, okay, these guys are 13, or 14-2. and two, Right. And like, what's going on? What's wrong with this team? Uh, and now to kind of you know, move forward, like they lost four in a row quick. Yeah. And any discussion about like a re, you know, an easy return to the Final Four was gone. But that's kind of – like you said, the fact that they've lost so many games despite holding a lead uh, late is is just crazy to me. Given the fact that they're they're so so experienced, they have experienced guards. Yeah, they may not have a true point guard, but I think RJ does a pretty good job. Uh, so a lot a lot of different things that have gone on this year have been surprising. And it was like Hubert said. I asked him Saturday uh, because because the way the game against Duke ended Saturday. I just felt like it was so similar to the Duke game in Durham. I said some crap like that. I said, Hubert, yeah, you know, does this bad sense of deja vu for you or something like that? And he went to, you know, the four-point lead they had when RJ and Pete Nance hit those back-to-back threes to put them up, I believe it was 49-45. And what I to what Greg is saying, like, there have been so many of these chances where they've seemingly had some momentum and, you know, they just haven't extended a lead. You know, the game at Pitt, uh, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, December 30th, they're up nine. Leakey takes a three. They're up nine and just cruising. 
Leaky takes a three, the thing goes down and comes back out. They would have been up 12. That thing, if that thing drops, and then somehow they found a way to lose that game, you know, against a pit team that we didn't know would challenge for the ACC title. But, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, it, not some, sometimes not only having the lead, but these leads that they haven't extended when you felt like the momentum was on their side. Um, you know, you could probably write a book that no one would want to read about, uh, you know, the different ways it's gone wrong. I, I would wager that a lot of Carolina fans would love to read an inside book on why it's gone wrong. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a fast if somebody dared to write it. Um, you know, you, you talk about all these games, they simply have never learned how to win outside of the run. And what was fascinating to me, and you mentioned the Duke game and, and the Duke game and the Pitt game and the Pitt game. Look at what the teams that Carolina beat in the NCAA tournament have done this year. Marquette, don't even know. Don't even keep up with Marquette. Oh, they're great. But, they're great. I think, yeah. I think they're good. Yeah, They're but, very good. Okay, so that proves my point even more because Baylor the the is good. I mean, Baylor's are. good. Marquette's good. UCLA is great this year. Kansas is ridiculously good this year. Uh, St. Peter's, you know, we, we get that. They, they had a run similar to Carolina, I guess. But the, the fascinating thing is that all this stuff we're talking about, how they found so many ways to lose, and Greg, this is where I want to get your perspective, is that there is a, they're as experienced, if not more experienced, than any team that Carolina basketball has ever had and they simply find ways to lose every single big game i don't under i I really would love to see the book written about that yeah i mean carolina ranks 24th nationally out of 363 teams in terms of division one experience um so this is a a incredibly experienced group a lot of old guys um I, I don't quite get it. And I, I kind of go back. I mentioned the fact that, you know, they don't have a true point guard. Joe Barry really wasn't a true point guard either. I mean, if you look at his assist numbers, they were pretty low. He was more of a scoring guard who could run point. That's kind of like RJ. Um, but they just get in some of these late game situations. And, you know, I'm not a guy that's going to like criticize play calling because I've, I don't pretend to know enough about all these different sets that Hubert runs. Um, but for whatever reason, the, the guys – uh, are, are just tr- having trouble executing. And they have some wasted possessions, and that leads to the other team getting some opportunities. Um, and, yeah, it, it's a strange thing. I mean, typically you have somebody you can count on. And I know a lot of people saw what Caleb did against UCLA, uh, obviously the shot against Duke that will live in infamy forever. Um, and, you know, even a couple you – know, Syracuse last year is another good one. Mm-hmm where he made some shots late. He just really hasn't been able to do that this year when it matters. He's made some shots late when the game was out of hand. Um, And when he's not been able to do it, there's really nobody else able to step up. I mean, I think Adrian's data from a couple of weeks ago was that Leakey was like the best option in terms of the highest three-point field goal percentage late in the game. Like, oh, all right, that's, that's not what you want. Um, it says the guys have just not been able to execute. And so, you know, the coaching staff, yeah, they got to do a better job getting them in position to score, but the guys have to knock down some shots too. And it just has not happened. If you listen to Sherelle McMillan talk about it and, and, and folks 
a lot of folks, especially on the message boards or whatever, are saying we're we're not hard enough on the coaching staff and all that. It is a it has been, and I've said it in other sports. It has been a systematic failure for Carolina basketball from the top to the bottom this year to be where they are right now. And it's up to Hubert Davis. He's the head coach. It's up to Hubert Davis and his staff to figure it out. There are no excuses that can be made. One thing I uh, I've seen, and Adam, you guys are in the pr- post game press conferences every time um i haven't seen hubert ever really fall on his sword a lot um which has been surprising quite different from how roy williams did it but um i guess the question is for you adam is once this season is done whether it's done this weekend or (laughs) next or whenever is how tough are those questions going to be for hubert in this offseason as opposed to what they were this past offseason it's going to be quite different, I would think. Greg, you can get in there if you want to get in there. Well, I was just going to make the point to Tommy's comment there. Uh, I don't think there's any question whatsoever that any of the issues start and end with Hubert Davis. I mean, he makes, what, on average $2.6, $2.8 million a year? Uh, if you're blaming players, uh, you're starting at the wrong spot. I mean, once we get to a situation – and this is a, a column idea moving forward. Um, but when you get to the situation of players are, are making bank at the college level, then we can start talking about assigning blame and criticism to the players. As it stands right now, the blame lies at Hubert Davis's feet. He got a lot of credit for that run last year, as he deserved. But if you're getting credit for the highs, you're responsible for the lows as well. Hey, I want to make this comment, and then, Adam, I want your take on that. Freddie Kitchen and Adam, you were there. Freddie Kitchen's North Carolina's new tight ends coach, which is fascinating. Hard turn, Tommy. <laughs> well, hey, it's relevant. Uh, Freddie Kitchen's. If you if you're in this chat and you and you don't follow football as much, go back and watch Freddie Kitchen's interview that we posted, and all the the quotes are there. Freddie Kitchen's talked about being a coach for the Dallas Cowboys in 2006, his first professional job. Jason Witten, one of the best in the game, was hurt. Another guy was hurt. So he had two guys that were undrafted free agents out there running tight end plays. And other assistant coach looked at him and said, they're going to get you fired. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, they're just going to get you fired. So they go into a coach's meeting, and this is where it's relevant. Bill Parcells is looking at him, and Kitchens finally acknowledges Parcells. And is like, what? And he's like, I don't have anything to work with. And Parcells tells him, if you can't teach them – what to do, why do I need you? And that right there brings it all back and lays it all at the feet of the coaching staff. Players need to execute, but it is up to the coaches to get them to execute. That is the most concerning thing of this whole deal for me is that this group for three years hasn't executed outside of a month. Adam, follow that one, big guy. A2, Tommy. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I was thinking as Greg was talking, and I see our guy Slagle mentioned it in the chat. Greg Greg mentioned the, what, what Hubert is, uh, his salary. I was thinking, like, is that more or less than Armando is making? <laughs> like, uh, who's, who's the highest on the payroll? I mean, I was making a joke the other day in the press room. I got a few chuckles that uh, some, I can't remember who was saying, like, you know, do we think Armando will – will come possibly come back for a fifth year or will he just 
go on to different pastures. And I made some comment that he'd have to take a pay cut if he left Carolina. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, what we, I think we've heard he's making 1.2. I don't know if that's, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen his, you know, his bank statements, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think it's, a, I think it, the problem goes, I think not to cop, be a cop out here. I think the problem is everywhere. I think that, um, like Hubert himself said, he called he, the other day. He called himself a first-year, second-year coach. Um, and yeah, like he does not come into a post-game press conference like like Roy would, with you know a red face, and Roy would be weeping and saying it was all his fault. You know, I got to do a better job coaching him. That's just that was the Roy messaging. That's what Roy did. He did fall on the sword. It was always Roy's fault. Um, you know, I just, you know, Hubert ain't Roy, <laughs> even though Roy picked him. And, you know, I I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Uh, I don't know who's going to come back, who's going to go. I don't know if Caleb, you know, I think we've been hearing, I don't know how, how true it might be that he might transfer to a Missouri or an Alabama you know, take that with a grain of salt. Probably shouldn't even say it because I don't really have great sources on that one. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, uh, I think that when things have gotten tight, people have reverted back to bad habits. Um, and I, you know, I think that Hubert, in terms of his coaching style, wants to let them like Roy did figure it out wants to conserve timeouts I thought I thought that you know I hope this doesn't get me killed over here in the comments <laughs> oh John Shire did a great job with his timeouts on Saturday 100 percent um nailed killed it perfect use of you know, I, you know how it is you're watching the game we all watch the game I wasn't sitting there going oh now would be a nice time to take a timeout but you know he did it and I was like dang that's I think it was twice where I was like whoo pretty nice call there Shire um, you know, and, and, and what, after they went up four points, they got Mark Mitchell going on a drive right to the cup. And then, uh, they had lively, the only basket lively made, which all he does is dunk the ball was a lob dunk. Um, so Shire, a little bit of a coaching clinic there from Shire the other day, uh, in the Dean Dome. hundred percent agree with you. And I'm going to say this, Shire called those timeouts right before the 12 media timeout, right before the eight media timeout, because see, so if they changed the way they did it, if you call a timeout right at the media timeout area, it just counts as the media timeout. It doesn't work, but Shire used that to get the bigger gap and to break the momentum. And then conversely, Hubert on the other side, Baycott sitting over there for four minutes or more not getting in the game when, when Hubert's got three timeouts in his pocket. I mean, how many times have we seen past coaches call a timeout to get a player in the game? Listen, and, they need to have – this is the Adam Smith, Eastern Alamance, Mebane, North Carolina opinion here. <laughs> they need to have a substitution coach because Hubert is not dialed into that. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's into the game. You know, he's punching the air. He's taking his glasses on and off. Um they need a substitute. I mean, this is very rudimentary, but I mean, we used to have that crap in like middle school. You know, there was someone in charge of the damn substitutions. And, and that like, was Bill Guthridge under Dean Smith. Dean Smith. 
Okay. Well, I didn't know that Uncle Bill used to do that. Well, I mean, like, I just think that 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 is that is a obvious place to start. Um, now they did sit down. Hubert did pull Caleb right uh, against Duke after he pulled him and set him for about five minutes. And actually, coincidentally, that's when Carolina had a nice had a nice burst in the second half. But um, I think that would be a place to start. I, I mean, there's, I think they need a full, a full reset evaluation everything uh this off season i don't know that they'll do that but i think that would be a help greg go ahead yeah so that, that's a good segue here um i credit ben sherman for this because he's, he's got the he's got a a mind and a memory that that far exceeds mine uh but we were talking about this earlier in the year about the depth issue i guess right the lack of, of using the bench uh, and he recalled a, a conversation on, on one of the podcasts after the season uh, with Brad Frederick. And uh, the, the quote was, Frederick's talking about you know, the Iron Five and Caleb Love. Uh, and Frederick said that he kind of looked over at Hubert during a game. I guess it was in the tournament. And said, hey, Caleb's been in the whole half. You want to grab him for a second? And Hubert said, nah, he's good. And he said, HD, man, you think it's time to get these guys? And Huber said, nah, they're good. Um, and so that kind of – there is a little bit of that where you know, Frederick's trying to say, okay, maybe maybe we get him a breather. And I think AG, H, HD just has such faith in these guys. Um, yeah. And that's part of it. But it's, it's a point of contention a little bit. I mean, if you look at what Carolina has done with their, their bench, I mean, they're 358th nationally in, in bench minutes um that's you know coach k ken palm's been tracking it for 21 years coach k never had numbers as low as that and we've kind of poked fun at coach k for years about not using this bench especially um, late in games everybody would say coach k's got his starters in yeah and to the, your point and we've, we've said this for two years guys that hubert davis he never coached before as a head coach before he took this job, there are going to be ups and downs. That's part of the deal. Um, last year, he had the benefit of the team kind of struggle throughout the course of the year and people kind of counted them out and said, ah, they're really not that good. He could use that as motivation and it worked. It hasn't worked for him this year. Um, and so I think it's just kind of a process of him figuring out, okay, we, I know what worked last year. It's not working this year. What can I do to kind of address it? And that's why I think when you start talking about some of his post-game comments, it's uh, it, it's kind of an in, inexperienced shining through. I mean, I, I thought CL asked a great question. I thought your question was good, Adam. But I thought CL asked a great question about you know, Hubert pointed out the fact that you know they've they've beaten the details into these guys in practice, and yet you get into a game situation and they're not executing. And so CL's question is like, okay, well, why is there a disconnect? Mm -hmm. Like, why are if they're being taught exactly what they need to do and they're not doing it, why is that happening? And instead of answering the question, <laughs> yeah. Hubert decides to play some kind of word game. Of, well, what do you mean by disconnect? Um, just answer the question. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, the learning process for him as a head coach. Uh, I know there are small segments like, ah, get rid of Hubert. Look, he's in his second year. He's going to be here for five years minimum. There's going to be ups and downs as part of the process. But this is part of the learning curve of kind of you know, how do you how do you message better? How do you handle these types of things? 
Uh, and then like the the great one, the great one the other night that I just have to bring up was, you know, where where are they getting this information? <laughs> right? Hubert Davis literally was on a show called ESPN Bracketology with Joe Lenardi when he was at ESPN. Like that's where they're getting it from. from the, your old coworker. Um, so I just found that hysterical. It yeah, is hysterical. My- and also, like, just to, I mean, 100% agree with everything there. Just to jump back to what you were saying about the bench and 358th nationally, I think that, uh, you know, I'm going to pick on Jalen Washington here. Like, when he got into the game Saturday, like, it occurred to me, I thought he looked like crap. And it occurred to me, well, he never plays anymore or he hasn't played. And he's in there against Duke. And the, everyone knows how important this thing is. And he just looked like, I mean, he Filipowski worked him over on a post-up. He made him look mm-hmm. foolish. And he also just crumbled. Derek Whitehead ran into him and he fell down like, you know, a, a, I don't know, like a bag of potatoes. What's, I don't know, some Southern, <laughs> give me an expression. But like, and I was like, oh my God, this has not been a good exchange here for Jalen Washington. But the guy never plays. You know, you know, I mean, he had, He's out there cold, you know, <laughs> like, so just to jump, just to add to that, I was thinking about that, you know, you could probably go back and point to the threes that DeMarco Dunn has missed. I feel like, I don't know what the numbers were. I think he had missed 11 straight threes off the bench there. Um, you know, these guys are cold, you know, and they come in for 95 seconds, 80 seconds. And Hubert, if you ask him about it, will say, well, you know, we do use the bench, you know, like pointing to the fact that, they played 13 guys the other night, but it's not like, you know, somebody they played 12 minutes. You know, you're talking about these minute-and-a-half bursts here. So, anyway, just to add to that. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll go on top of that, Tommy. I think it's disingenuous uh, for some Complete. of the fan base to say, oh, the reason they don't play the bench is those guys aren't any good. Well, now's not the time to be building your depth. The time to build your depth is November and December um, – to see what they can give you so that when you call their number in February, uh, they've had enough time to, to kind of get into the rhythm and understand what it is to go into a game cold and be able to warm up real quick. I just don't think they've been given that opportunity. So now, yeah, now's not the time to build depth. You're past that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think it's disingenuous for some to say. when to be ready. Like, right. I can be ready around the 14-minute. Like, they don't know. Yeah. Like they don't yeah. know when, you know, you got to be ready when your number's called. They don't know when it's coming. If it's coming, it might not come for what was it? We were down in Tallahassee. Here comes Dontrez Styles. I'm flipping through the game notes like he hadn't played in six of the last seven games. Here he is. He's hitting the three. He's guarding Matthew Cleveland. Dontrez Styles, everyone. I made some note. Dontrez Styles appearance. Somebody was like, I don't know why I make such a big deal about Dontrez Styles appearance. Because he hadn't freaking played, dude. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, there he is. They have to win these games. He's guarding FSU's best player, who, oh, by the way, just won the game against Miami. Like, you know, so, like, if you're anyone, I mean, Puff knows he's, he's going to go in. But, like, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know. Like, when Pete threw out his back that day, they he put Jalen Washington in first. Like, 18 minutes, in, you know, 18-minute mark. You don't, you know, you don't, if you're anyone over there, you don't, Seth Trimble, when am I going in? Am I going in in the first seven minutes? Am I going in five minutes up in the half? They had a damn lineup out there against Duke. It was Trimble, Nickel, T-Nick, Jalen Washington. They had, they, they had no idea what to do. 
You know, I mean, it was just, it was, it was awful. And Adam, I, <laughs> I think for, it, I think it goes one level deeper than that too, because part of the success of last year's team was the Iron Five and playing that lineup and riding that lineup. But that lineup was a very efficient lineup. I looked at the the stats on EvanMaya.com in adjusted team efficiency in the ACC. There were 22 different lineups last season that played 200 plus minutes. That Iron Five lineup was first, so it made sense to ride that lineup because it was an adjusted. It was it was a great lineup. It was a stats all star, and you saw what they did when they rode that lineup in March. But this year's starting lineup is not the Iron Five. I looked at the same numbers. There's been 19 lineups in the ACC with 200 plus possessions. This year's starting lineup is seventh among the 22 or among the 19. So that shows it's more of a middle of pack lineup that Hubert has chosen to road ride all season long. So it's not just that UNC's not playing its depth. It's riding this starting lineup that just doesn't have the same spark as last year's Iron Five. And I think when you're telling the story of this season, that's a big part of the reason why maybe it hasn't gone as it as it's been expected to. Let me let me drop this question and, and let me reset. This is on the beat live, sponsored by Johnny T shirt, Johnny T shirt.com. Uh, I want to drop a question. It's 9.38. We're going a long time tonight, boys. It's going to be an early morning. We're going to be football practice at 8 in the morning. Going to be having breakfast with Mac at uh, foot, the media availability at football practice. But we're going, we might go long tonight. David Walton, I'm going to give you center stage with your question because you called out my people. I see loves, loves to talk a big game and state facts on IC, in the IC Live pause, but don't ask Hubert Davis the tough questions. The comment I would make to that, and I'm going to turn it over to you guys, is did you listen to the Duke post game? There you go. That's why. That's 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 what it is. Adam, I'll let you go first, and then I'm going to get the emeritus Greg Barnes in on it as well. Um, it's just not quite as simple as saying, what the hell are you doing, Hubert? It's not <laughs> that simple when you're covering – college basketball david how dare you first of all <laughs> put that question back up there david did you graduate from high school that's not even proper english hey we don't do typos. we're classes. not doing grammar I'm police i'm playing it's it's all love it's all love it's all love david type better buddy um <laughs> no i feel you i mean i hey i get it uh i live with some fanatical unc fans um and when these games are going on, these people that I live with are uh, highly nervous and they want the time to, to run off the clock when Carolina is winning. Um, and there's always a comment, too much time, too much time. I'm here. I get, you know, into my phone from different people that I uh, share a house with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would disagree with you, David. I think we have, I have been asking about the substitutions for two years. Um but, you know, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's a fine line in terms of uh, the accountability that, you know, a, a message board poster would want you to, ha ha you know, hold these guys to. And the fact that you have to sort of live with them for a season while you're covering them. You know, I feel like we have asked them the questions. I think some of the questions there are no answers to. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't think that Hubert has some of these answers that y'all want, because like. You know, to borrow a Roy phrase, if he knew, he would have already done it. Um, you know, that's what Roy would tell you. Well, if I knew, yeah, I would have already done it. You wouldn't even be asking this thing. Um, 
So I would disagree, David. But you know, you're uh, you know, I love you. Uh, your comment is fine. And uh, I don't know, Greg. Do you have a do you have a take on that at all? I do. This this has been something that's kind of been bantered about for a while. Um, and everything, Adam, that you said there is, is correct. I, I would go you know, a step further and say, you know, a post game press conference. Um, you have to understand that you know it, it's fresh in the coach's mind, but they haven't been able to break down film. And so Larry Fedora always kind of skirted the issue by saying, oh, I got to look at the film, which mm-hmm. is true. But as reporters, we're there because we were you know, on deadline and we're trying to crank out a story. And so sometimes there's specific questions that we need to ask. And it's not just, hey, uh, let's really kind of dive into what went wrong at this point in time. That's for later. Um, but that being said, I thought there were good questions asked after the game of the night. Adam, I thought yours was good. I thought CL was good. Andrew asked a good one. Um, and so I thought they did a good – I thought the beat staff did a really good job after the Duke game. The other component to it, and, and Adam touched on it, is you can't – you don't want to be rude, um, yeah. right? You I mean, so you have to ask – yeah, you have to be asked to have questions in a very uh, genteel manner, manner, very polite – while still getting your point across. And you can ask uh, quality, tough questions while being fair. And there is a legitimate understanding that, hey, if you ask fair questions consistently over time, coaches will respect that, and they'll be able to uh, understand that, and they're willing to work with you later on. Like, I, I, I wouldn't say it was contentious with Larry Fedora, um, but we had pointed exchanges. But we got to the point where he understood that I had a job to do and, and vice versa. So when things got rough for him late in his tenure, especially in 2018, I was able to ask some very difficult questions of him that he didn't want to have asked and he didn't want to have to answer. But he understood the job and he understood that he needed to provide me with some, some feedback. And he did that. And that's kind of the same situation with, uh, with Mac and with Roy and with Hubert, we're still learning how Hubert likes to respond to tough questions. For the most part, he doesn't really like to. Um, but I, as I said, I thought the, the guys did a very good job after the game on Saturday night. Um, you know, and Adam's right. I mean, if you go back and listen to the press conferences, there's been a lot of questions he's asked about, about depth and using depth. And sometimes, you know what? You're not going to get the answer you want. That doesn't mean it was a bad question. It just means the coach may not want to answer it the way you want to answer it. And so that's just kind of part of it is it's kind of understanding it's not a one-off situation where you can just be blunt and rude and, hey, why do you suck? Why are you not any good? You can't do that. That serves no purpose whatsoever. I hate this. We're losing. Why? Please. You know, like, uh, I mean, the play calling, too. We have asked him about the play calling. Like, you know, uh, I mean, Hubert Davis played 12 years in the NBA. (laughs) He was a little bit of a better basketball player than I was, um, you know, a smidge. Like, you know, I mean, I have asked him about play calls in certain big moment situations that have not worked out, you know, and he's answered them. Um, I would say, just as Greg was talking there, great, great stuff on Fedora too, Greg. You're just taking me back. You're taking me back in time here, man. Um, this is fantastic. Uh, Ross is off the show. Greg is now on. Uh <laughs> So see if uh, talk to Buck, see if we can give Greg a little extra something. Um, not, uh, 
Uh, think about all this stuff seems like so long ago, but when they lost at Wake Forest, I, it was in February, right? I got the schedule here. Yeah, early yeah. February, they lost at Wake. The infamous 37 minutes in the locker room. Somebody got all over us. How did you know? We, we timed it, man. Like we're standing outside the <laughs> locker room, you know? I, I gave Ross that job. He was fired up about it. I was like, Ross, I think that they went in there at either 914 or 915. We're putting you in charge of time, and and he was. I mean, he was. That is a Ross job. He was locked was in, one. man. He was. <laughs> he was locked in. You know, checking that thing. Uh, it was great. But but anyway, go back and listen to my guy David. Go back and listen to uh, the Wake post game when we asked him stuff, and he, you know, there were like the ten second, the thirteen second pauses. You know, the answers was so quiet. Um, that was a hell of a night. Uh, you know, like, you know, go back and listen to that. Like that, you know, the questions, a lot of these questions have been asked and Greg makes a great point. He's just going to answer them the way he's going to answer them. You know, it's like any other relationship, you know, <laughs> like that's just what he's going to do. And, and, and that night in particular, he, you know, I think just my opinion was, was tiptoeing up to possibly saying some non Hubert type things and he just didn't do it. But which is his right. He tiptoed up to that line and then he backpedaled back, you know. Um, he thought about it a couple times and he didn't do it. So um and that's just that's just kind of how it's been. But anyway. I, I think it's fascinating. Uh and I'll say this, and you guys are the beat writers and y'all are amazing at, at what you do. Um, but I covered I went to the Mac press conferences a lot, uh, you know, in the fall and People would say, why don't you ask this? Why don't you ask that? So I'd ask this and I'd ask that. And Mac won't answer nothing. <laughs> I mean, he was not going to answer. Like when I asked him, you lost to state in Georgia Tech. You're nine and one. You, you, the table is set for a great season. And he said, Tommy, we're an ACC championship game. <laughs> Basically did like that to me. He put his hand in my face and said, we're eight. so it's not as simple. Uh, the answers that folks want or not as simple as just simply asking the questions and you don't act like a butthole to y'all's point to ask the questions. Um, and, and you have I to think, show up to the next press conference yeah. too. You have to show, show up and see the guy next, next game or next week. So you have to remember that too. And there's yeah. all sorts of university staff people over to the side, you know, giving you the, the hairy eyeball too. Uh, Greg, I have to tell you this. Uh, is this story time? No, actually, no. But it just, I was thinking about the people standing over to the side. I, Greg, I can't tell. Never mind. I can't tell you this point. Someone had a Perrier bottle the other day. Uh, <laughs> I could not believe it. But it, I'll tell you later. Uh, I was like, is that a Rolling Rock bottle? Oh, it's Perrier, of course. Perrier water. Somebody <laughs> from Carolina was. would have the Perrier as he stands over there by the side of the door. Anyway. Uh, oh, sorry. man. The, the memes and the stories write themselves. I couldn't believe it. I was like. Jesus Christ. But anyway, go ahead, Tommy. Sorry. Let, let's get it back on the rails a little bit. Let, let's <laughs> talk about, and I know, uh, I know that uh, a couple of people in the chat want us to sort of look at a pathway forward. Let's do this briefly and then we'll take a break and we'll go to football talk. It's not going to be as fun as this has been. <laughs> Carolina's path to the ACC tournament championship, but not only that, a path to the NCAA tournament. Greg, you mentioned it earlier. Um, it's not as simple as just getting to Sunday or Saturday, whatever it is now. I hate the new format. They have to beat – they have to hope for every quality team. And 
in doing that, Greg, one of those quality teams is NC State. They need to hope for NC State to get through to there. Um, so just briefly go through what Carolina has to do. I think they have to win it. Um, but if they don't win it, what do they have to do to get in the tournament by just getting to the final? Yeah, I think at this point in time, Tommy, you're you're hoping for chalk. And that's not just in the ACC tournament. That is nationwide. Because you do, you do not want some random team and – I mean, I don't even know what the name of some of these conferences is to, – to win, like as a three seed that had no chance of making the NCAA tournament. And they get a bid, and then the number one seed's going anyway. Uh, and part of that is because I'm looking here at some of the resumes – uh, and BartTorvik.com does a fantastic job kind of breaking down the different resumes of all these bubble teams. But like Providence is a good example. Providence right now slotted as a 10 seed. So a little bit on the positive side of the bubble. Uh, they have a 50.5 resume average. Carolina's 49. So Carolina's a little bit better. Providence has a 40.3 quality average. Carolina's 41.7. They have basically identical resumes. But Providence is a 10 seed slotted right now. Carolina is next four out. Why? Providence has four quality wins. Carolina has one. That is the difference. So Carolina needs to beat Virginia, right? That needs to be their, their, their goal. Beat Virginia. And then, like you said, NC State. State's got to be up there. And then you want to play... Uh, Miami in the in the championship game, so you want to beat chalk. That doesn't mean that's that's going to make it difficult, right? But that gives you the best chance if you get to Saturday night and somehow can't can't get the victory, or just a, a very rarely disagree with you. If you somehow get to Saturday night, make it the worst team possible on the other side that you can. I mean, win easy, yeah, right, right. I mean, it's not going to happen. I think Miami and Duke are going to. That Miami Duke semifinal, if it gets to be there, I think could be pretty fun one to watch. I think those are the best two teams in the league right now. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, you won't, you know, I know that that uh, no one probably listening to the show is a big NC State fan. I think you won't, I think you would rather uh, play NC State. Well, I know you would rather play NC State in the semifinals on Friday if Carolina is able to get there rather than Clemson because State's right higher. It would be a quad one win on a neutral court. If the team is in the top 50 of the net, that's quad one. State's in the 40s, I think low 40s, high 30s. Clemson's not. Carolina's power, Carolina's net's better than Clemson. It wouldn't be a quad one if they get to Clemson. Even though Clemson finished third in the league, um, that, you know, it would be better for the computers. It would be better for the your your metrics to, to beat UVA and NC State. And like Greg said, to start it off, yeah, I think you have to, if, if, I think the only way you feel comfortable is if you win it. And you know what? You want to know how uh, smart I am, which is not very. I'm sitting there. Uh, I was talking to C.L. Brown uh, after the the Duke game the other night. We were riding and doing our thing. And I'm thinking like, well, you know, I wonder if there's any precedent here. And I start getting on the old Google machine. Virginia Tech won the freaking thing last year from the seventh seed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Great memory. <laughs> like I haven't forgotten about it. We covered the whole thing. Uh, I wrote a story about Hunter Couture when he torched Duke last year in the finals in my former life. Um, I forgot all about it. So, I mean, yeah, there's some precedent here. Vatek went from the seventh seed, and I believe Virginia Tech needed to do that to get in last year. I think they were one of the bubble teams. Um, 
that's why that game in Blacksburg in February last year was kind of an elimination game. We looked at it as when Carolina went up there and eked out a win. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, you know, if, if you're looking at the path, the path on that side of the bracket where Carolina is, is teams that Carolina has beaten. They've beaten all of them. So I don't know. <laughs> it's hey, an how, about this line, for, uh, how about this for uh, some comparison and some symmetry? Virginia Tech was 19 and 12 when they oh, entered man. the the tournament last year, and they ranked uh, where is it? They ranked 331st in bench minutes. <laughs> so they didn't have any depth either. Right. They still were able to go on a, a four game win streak. So it's possible. It's definitely possible. They got to hit shots. It's an interesting dynamic. There's Carolina needs to win the tournament to get in. So you want to see the easiest path to do that. But if you hedge your bets and you don't win the tournament, you better play the hardest path yep. to get there. Yeah, That's what happens when you're on the bubble and right. when you don't win games. And, and Sherelle and Sean and Joey on Coast to Coast yesterday made a great point. Carolina's had many opportunities to not be in this discussion that we're having right now. And Our guy Greg Newman in the chat said a while ago, uh, you know, Carolina needs a shooter on the wing. And <laughs> I mean – I remember saying this to Ross at one of those November games uh, before they went to Portland when they beat UNCW and College of Charleston. College of Charleston is a team you should pull for, by the way. They need to win the CAA. Uh, you know, um, yeah, like even when they were, they were number, I, I distinctly remember telling this to Ross, like, and and then him saying it in previous in podcasts that followed. We've been saying they need a wing shooter, but. You know, you could just see it that that they just didn't have that that weapon of a guy who could catch and shoot. Um, yeah, Pete Nance, as Greg said, it was forty percent shooter uh, last season at North at Northwestern, but just small sample size though. And he didn't take a lot. He didn't take a lot. I think it, he averaged about two per game. They just didn't have that um, that weapon in the drawer to go to because. You know, Caleb and RJ are off the dribble, pick and roll, off the dribble. Everything's off the dribble. And, um, you know, if if Puff Johnson – if they could have had a guy to bring off the bench, Kerwin Walton maybe. No, I'm just fine. Um, nice. Would have helped, I think. Andrew Playtech. Greg was advocating for Andrew Playtech, I believe. Was that was that you, Greg, or is that someone else? It, it was me. Yeah, in, in one of our other chats. So, I like Playtech. I mean, Playtech, play he's 25 years old and he can hit a three. I, I mean, he's like 45 percent, isn't he? <laughs> it is, it, it is crazy. I, I mean, it, it is. Uh, I've done a lot, I've done this stuff for Inside Carolina a long time, as you guys have done, and it, it is the silly season right now. Talking about this Carolina basketball team, I like I said, I'd like to see the book, the tell all book. Um, maybe somebody will write it one day. Maybe Kirshner will write it. Maybe we can get that book, that version. Anyway, are we going to talk about football? Because I'm going to take a short break and let's come back and let's talk about spring practices open for the football. Um, Mac Brown's team, Johnny T-shirt and Johnny T-shirt.com. Great friends of Inside Carolina. Great friends of you, the Inside Carolina premium subscriber. A couple of things I need you to do if you're in the chat. And there's 360 plus of you. I need you to hit the like button. As Gregory Hall said, I don't see Gregory Hall still in the chat, so maybe he's gone to bed already. Hit the like button on this video, but also subscribe on the YouTube channel, but also 
subscribe to Inside Carolina Premium stuff. Recruiting's getting hot. Sherelle McMillan's in the chat. His recruiting scoop, top notch. Don Callahan's been working overtime on the football side uh, today. Carolina's got two football recruits. You got to be an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber to know all about that stuff. So Johnny T-shirt benefits you there because you get 10% off your order. Take care of them. Get all your gear. Get some baseball gear and come out and see us at the Bosch. I'll be in the Bosch sitting in a random seat um, covering the game. So come see us there. Johnny T-shirt looks after you all. National guys pay the bills. About 10 o'clock on the East Coast. Longest on the beat ever. We get Greg Barnes on here and it goes forever. We'll be right back after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. It's on the beat live. You know what's funny, guys? I said, let's talk about football, and we lost 40 viewers. <laughs> Adam, tell us what we're looking at right? tomorrow. Yeah, it went from 360-something to 320-something. So, uh, <laughs> peace, fellas. Uh, <laughs> Mac Brown and the football staff is open press, uh, open practice to the media tomorrow morning, um, 8 to 10 a.m. That's kind of early. Uh, but we'll all be there. The inside Carolina crowd will be in full effect. Adam, what are we looking for in spring practice? What what are, what legitimately are we looking for in spring practice? Uh, nobody to get hurt. I mean, you know, <laughs> these guys are going to be in shorts tomorrow, right? Like, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see where they're they're working these transfers in. You know, like, like it'll be interesting to see who they're rolling out there at left tackle. Uh, you know, um, I think that'll be good. I'm interested just to talk to uh, freaking Drake May. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of weird. We, uh, uh, I was thinking about it. We, the, the ACC championship game was December the 3rd. We didn't talk to any players before they played their bowl game on December 28th. No, uh, no players. We talked to Mac a couple times, talked to no players. That night in San Diego at the Holiday Bowl, they brought Drake and Cedric Gray. After the game, they went up on the podium. We talked to them for a few minutes, and that was it. We barely, we barely talked to the players at all. So um, I like to talk to these guys. I'm interested to see what the heck's been going on. I'm interested to see what Drake uh, has to say about the changes, all the changes that have gone on on the offensive side of the ball. The people that have left, um, you know, the, the as, we, as we get further into the distance here, there's more and more – uh, slander being thrown on Phil Longo, to be honest with you, if you keep your ear open around the program. Um, you know, we were over there the other day. You hear people talking about that he had already checked out. Has Des Evans gotten a sack yet? Oh, my goodness. No, he yeah. hasn't. 
So Gregory Hall lost a bet to me. Who I'm, I'm uh, now that you bring it up, I don't think he paid it off. I had Taman Fox Adam with more sacks than Des Evans. Evans is still looking for his first, and that's yep. two years ago. I still remember that uh, VIP had some over under six sacks for Des Evans going into the season. I was like, has he ever had a sack? God bless him. Has he ever had a sack? I wouldn't want him to hear me say that. He would destroy me. Uh, I'm going um, to. I'm pointing him out to you more. I know what he looks like, but I'm talking about he knew he gonna know what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't want him mad at me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know. It, Let's go see what they what they're doing there. Let's see who they got running around at the second at the backup quarterback. I'm assuming it would be Connor Harrell since it'll, it's going to be the second practice of the spring. But they need to figure out backup quarterback. You know, let's see what these two, uh, Nate McCollum and Trez Walker, the two wide receiver transfers, look like. Um, I need to ask Gene some questions tomorrow about uh, his defense because Mac was rambling the other day. He was talking about how much more aggressive they're going to be on defense now. Um, so. Yeah, let's go. We're going to go over there. I have to leave Mebbin early tomorrow and uh, see what they got, see what they're doing um, over there for spring practice. It's the Great race barn. to figure out who uh, Tommy's favorite player is, the backup quarterback battle. <laughs> Another inside joke for the uh, yeah, live crew. I, yeah, 100%. Buck Sanders has been wearing me out that, for that since the C.J. Stevens days. Greg Barnes, you'll be there tomorrow. What are you looking for? Uh, I mean – you know, all the changes on offense, you got you, – you're thinking about, yeah, we need to talk about the offense. We need to talk, talk to these guys. But is it really the offense that we're talking about? You know, I think I think that's kind of the interesting dynamic here is uh, Gene Chizik and Mac Brown would much prefer us to talk about the offense. And it's going to be easier to talk about the offense because, as you said, there's not many changes defensively. Um, and especially tomorrow, I mean, they're all going to be in, in hats. Um, so you get to look at their – physiques, uh, but I don't know that you'll get to see much more than that other than them running through some drills. Offensively, though, you'll be able to see some installs and, and those types of things. So um, I really think this is a situation where we're going to learn a lot more about the offense this spring, which is okay because the defense just kind of has to get their act together. Um, and you know, Gene has filled in some really good defenses over the years. Last year was kind of a disaster. Um, we kind of know the pieces. We know there's a new cornerback coach. But it's also kind of a thing of, okay, how, how do they make some changes? Uh, you know, last year it was like, you know, the, the conversation in the spring was about, eh, you know, we're buttoning things up. You know, we're, we're getting more serious and we're, we're going to keep our focus and we're not going to buy into the hype. Defensively, you know, that, that didn't happen. You know, we had, we had players telling us this is going to be the number one defense in the country in the preseason and then ended up being one of the worst at the Power 5 level. Um, and so those are the things that, that Gene has to figure out, and he's got to get that tightened up quickly. We're not going to be able to see that in a practice setting because the scheme's not going to change that much. Uh, that takes place. It's already taken place since the bowl game. It will take place after spring practice until training camp. Uh, so it is really going to be a, a spring about offense, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah, if we don't focus too much attention on the defense, even though everybody knows that for Carolina to take that next step, the defense has to get dramatically better very quickly. And, Greg, you remember, too, uh, this time last year was uh, – well, coming out of the spring and things like that was, you know, we're tackling now. We're tackling in practice more now. 
uh, there's more of an emphasis on it. You know, like that was sort of the one of the defensive talking points was that, you know, we're we're more physical in practice because that's, you know, football is a physical game. That's what we're doing, which was also kind of like taking shots at Jay Bateman. Um, but, you know, like the the ta- I remember the tackling being such a big thing like, oh, yeah, we practice tackling now. And, you know, we, we all saw what happened. I, I, do want, more. I do want to have that discussion, though, with them is, is and this is something I meant to ask, and I'll ask it tomorrow, is uh, how do you get more physical with the limitations that the NCAA puts on you and also the fear that you don't want to get your guys hurt? I think that's a valid Tommy, question. it's a good question, Tommy. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. You, I saw you wanted to get in there. Yes. Um they're only allowed to tackle, I think, eight times in spring practice. You have three days. You, you're you not in full pads. You go through the acclimation period. And then I think the, the final 12, you can act, only actually tackle eight times. Uh, we're also – I'm trying to count in my head. What are we, like six months from the first yeah, game? game. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you can't go hardcore for eight days tackling um, – like what are we doing? I understand player safety and all those things. It's all very important, but you have to instill that that mindset, right? Um, and you you have to make sure that you can do it effectively because you don't want to get to the season. And be like, oh, well, uh, we we tried to focus on it. We didn't tackle so much, and therefore we're having the same issues. And I, I think you have to be careful with that. And at some point, you have to set your identity. And if any if everything that we've heard about Randy coming in, Randy Clements. Um, holds true he is all about some physicality um, which I think is good for the offensive line clearly because they want to be able to run the ball more but if the offensive line is being more physical guess what the defensive line by default has to be more physical and I think you just really have to say you know what we understand there's potential for an injury but we have to establish this culture of being tougher more physical all those kind of things because if we don't then we're missing out on an opportunity and that that means one guy Accidentally getting injured, then you then you live with it. I tell you I something. Get, that there's an aspect of the the new additions to the coaching staff. They've got some this. They've got some country boys on this staff now. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if they, we can keep track. Uh, I do like to take a lot of notes. I don't know if we can keep track of who hangs the bigger dip. But you have Randy Clements, <laughs> you have Chip Lindsey, you have Freddie Kitchens. Hey, Lonnie Galloway is from, I believe, Eden, North Carolina. I knew Lonnie way back in the day when he was coaching at Elon right out of his – he played quarterback in Western Carolina. Lonnie's pretty country. Um, you know, like, they're, they're – that's something, as a Carolina fan, maybe you can, I don't know, make turn into a drinking game. Who has the bigger dip? Um, they have gotten – they've got some Alabama and some Texas boys on this staff now, which uh, I'm sure Mac loves. But anyway, that was uh, neither here nor there. We need, to, uh, we need to have Hawkins get some photos so we can have evidence. Go ahead, John. I have some more numbers. One number that's going to make UNC fans upset, one that they'll be relieved to hear or not surprised to hear. So beta rank, which is my advanced stat of choice for college football, came out the 2023 projections. It's by Rob Bowerin. Not sure exactly how to pronounce his name. But UNC is 63rd in that projection that he puts out. So I don't think UNC fans will want to hear that number. But there's another number here that I think is really interesting. He has a statistic called coaching rank, coaching and development. And in his words, it's kind of like a model 
that uh, adjusts up or down whether uh, schools over or underperform relative to their recruiting, returning production, prior year performance. And that's something that's really hard to quantify, but I think all of us have seen that. UNC is not taking its recruits and turning them into quality players. So in that metric, in this 2023 ranking that just came out, UNC is, let me get the exact number here, uh, I believe it's 123rd in the country out of 131 teams in that coaching and development mark. And I think that's the big story of the offseason for me. Can UNC take all this talent, because we know all the talent is in place, and can they develop it and turn it into quality players and turn around that very low metric in, in the beta rank there? Yeah, and let me say this, Tommy. Um, Mac Brown, uh, I think, has said it perfectly the last couple of years. Right? Football is an easy game. People are complex, right? And uh, I think this applies to both football and to basketball. We've seen it a little bit recently on the basketball side of things. People say, oh, you just don't know enough about basketball to kind of understand what's going on. It's a game, right? The, the goal is to put a ball in a basket. If you're a football player, wide receiver, your job is to catch a ball. <laughs> and I, I go back to personal experience because uh, I coached golf. I was a, a golf teacher, professional golf teacher. I got paid to, which is crazy to me. I got paid to teach golf uh, for seven years. And so NIL I can tell you. And I deal for Greg Barnes. Exactly. Golf <laughs> I could tell you about uh, launch angle and spin rate and, you know, supination and all these kind of things. And I vividly remember a guy came and his daughter who ultimately played at high point. Uh, but I was working with her. And I started throwing out all this fancy stuff about, yeah, you know, swing pass, like two degrees and so, blah, blah, blah. He said, I don't care about any of that. When she's playing, the ball's going right. How do we fix that? And I was like, you know what? That's, you're right. Like, none of, the, none of the intricate details really matter. It's about what's going on on the field, right? And anybody can see that. You don't have to be a technician to understand what's taking place, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's on the football field was on the golf course you may not you, you may not know exactly what's taking place but you can see the end result and that is all that matters and so that, yeah i mean like john said in terms of the teaching we know this team has a ton of talent the coaches have to get that talent to produce so if your talent level is here you know what the ceiling is and i don't think any of us disagree that this team can compete for the acc title based on the talent on hand it's the coaching staff being able to get that talent to play up to its potential. Uh, and the same can be said on the basketball side of things. So it's, it's, they are easy games, um, but it's just a matter of, of figuring out the people and making sure they're able to do exactly what you need them to do. And that's why the coaches make the big bucks, because the four of us can't tell Des Evans how to get a sack, right? It's like, <laughs> go get the quarterback. The coaches are the ones that understand what it takes to do that, um, and that's why they make the big money, and that's why they're in the, the positions that they're in. Look, here you go. This is not the Duke, Mark Williams. Greg, can you fix my slice? I can. I can. I'm, Most I'm likely. Coming. I tell you what, here's what you do. This is a quick, easy fix. Find a <laughs> find a wall in your house if you're married that your wife doesn't care much about. It may be in the playroom, <laughs> may be in the attic, right? Put your golf club about an inch. Set up, set up like you're going to hit a ball. Put your golf club about an inch from the wall and take practice swings because a slice most likely you're going to be coming over the top 
And if you do that, you're going to knock the you-know-what out of the wall up to your right. <laughs> that's why I say you got to do it in a room where your wife is not paying attention. But that's how you practice. I, I have my son use a pool noodle so that he doesn't damage wow. the walls. But yeah. that's a good way to yeah. practice it. Hey, there you go. Uh, Mark, you can send your uh, bill to Tommy Ashley. I'm Greg Barnes's agent. Um, he charges $150 for every uh, 30 seconds of lessons. Look, it, it what you just said, Greg, and then we're going to get out of here because it's well after 10 and it's 4.30 comes early in the morning. It goes back to what I said about Freddie Kitchens earlier <laughs> and the coaching. If you can't teach them what to do, why do I need you? It's up to this staff, basketball and football, to teach these guys what to do because to y'all's point and Greg, to your point there and to John, your point, the talent is on hand for this football team to get it done. And I know everybody wants me to predict 12 and 0 again. I'm not doing that again. But <laughs> but I do think that 9 is the floor for it to be a success. March the 6th, I'm saying that. Who Haven't knows you what? heard Mac talk about how hard the schedule is, Tommy? <laughs> oh, and somebody asked did Mac have does Mac have a point? Um no. You got to win. I'm joking by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, at year 5 you got to win um ball games, but it's going to be a fun year. This is a – yeah, but you – see, Lewis needs to realize that you practice so much that you can't get it wrong. How, where have we heard that, Greg? Practice enough so you cannot get it wrong. Greg Barnes with the golf lessons, Adam Smith with the great storytelling. We're going to have one of these on-the-beat podcasts when the season's over with where we just shoot the breeze. Greg, and, I have two stories for you. I've been saving to tell them to you in person. Um, that, I mean, I don't want to overhype them, but I think you're going to laugh your ass off. Um, one of them involves, uh, the big dog. Um, and we, uh, he was in charge of finding out where we're supposed to park at a game and it was on the road. And, uh, the other one involves, uh, Jim Hawkins and, uh, uh, light connection in Minneapolis, uh, as we were going from San Diego to Pittsburgh, from the bowl game to the to the basketball game at Pitt, and it is, it's an all timer. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but I have wanted to tell you in person. I, I, I'm not going to do it tonight because obviously we've gone a long time. But um, I may tell you in person. I may tell you over the computer one of these days. But uh, no, just, we're doing it. You are you just are to wet your whistle. Uh, <laughs> you are required to do it right here on, on the beat. Well, hang on, Tommy. I'm, I'm going to tell a story before we get out of here that I think is important. Uh, I believe, I believe we were in Columbus, Ohio. Is that oh right? Oh my God. Yeah. I know uh, where you're going with this one. Jim Hawkins, myself, Adam and Ross, we walked <laughs> into a gay bar and. Oh, he's uh, gone. I didn't do oh, that. Oh, he's he's done. he did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. <laughs> it is uh, he, that's that's classic Greg Barnes. He does it all the time. I promise I didn't do that. No, he's done it before. <laughs> he tees it up and then he bails out. Um, it actually wasn't a gay bar. It was a gay uh, restaurant. Um, hey, and we did not know. It was. He's absolutely right. It was Columbus, Ohio. Um, I think, I think Ben got- Sherman might have actually come on there. <laughs> Them out real quick. I saw somebody with a machete slicing the Ethernet cable to Greg Barnes's house. This has been epic, guys. John <laughs> Bowman, thank you for sticking with a bunch of old guys shooting the breeze. Adam, 
I must say, this has been one of the ones for the ages on the Beat Live. <laughs> Shout out to the 260-some-plus people that have been here and over 360-some when we were talking basketball. Uh, shout out to Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. And shout out to Inside Carolina for the forum to do this stuff for you guys. We will be back. A lot of football coverage coming after open practice tomorrow. We'll have coordinators, Mac, players, Drake May, Cedric Gray. Um, maybe we can market that saying. They'll be available. We'll get all that content out to you, Ross and Adam and everybody. I'll be there. Greg will be there. Hawkins, interns, everybody's on deck. InsideCarolina.com, On The Beat Live. Thanks, guys. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.